Amen. Well, as I pray this morning, I've mentioned before, sometimes we do need help just to even know what words to pray, don't we? Like, how do we pray for these things? And how do we pray when we're suffering? And sometimes I'll go to a book called Every Moment Holy that just has these really thoughtful prayers. And I'm just going to pray through a portion of one of them that's titled Time of Widespread Suffering. And may we just join in hearts as we pray for those who are suffering and that we might ask for the Lord's intervention even during this time and even now. Christ our King, well, the biggest, the biggest loser, um, maybe a few of you are familiar with that, there's this, I don't even know if it's on anymore, I don't know, but a, a game show, reality TV show called The Biggest Loser, and it's a show where um, people come on, the contestants come on, and typically they have... Um, Probably 100 to 200 to maybe 300 pounds that they're, that they're just needing to lose. And they, so they, they do this game show and they um, submit their lives to these trainers and everything that that entails. And there was a, a short season in Kelly, my life, before we had kids and we lived overseas in China. And um, we were actually in our city all by ourselves. So we'd only been there about a year. And um, our other teammates fled um, for a different reason. One took another assignment. One was stateside for nine months. And we were rather lonely. And, and for a little bit, Biggest Loser contestants became our friends and our English, our English output um, and input. But, but all that being said, is there, there's one, they, I don't know if they do it every season or just sometimes, but kind of near the end of the season, they have the contestants that are left who have last, lost maybe 50, 100, 200 pounds, 250, a lot of weight. And they have a race. They're outside, and they take weights, and they put weighted vests and strap weights on their arms and their legs that are the same amount of weight that they've lost. And they begin this race with the weight that they had, with all the weight that they began with. And at different points in the race, they're able to take off these weights and put them down and it, part of it's a competition, but part of it's just to remind them, hey, this is where you were, this is where you are, you don't want to go back. And just reminds them that. And there's, there's this picture, and today in our passage that we already read today, there is that picture of this throwing off, and Paul saying, don't go back to the way before, don't put on these weights of your old self and try to walk or run this life in it. I think it's just a perfect picture of what Paul is speaking about in this passage, that passage, that picture of those weights being put on you. Say, no, I'm going to throw those off and continue forward. So Paul begins, and he really does say, in verses 17 through 19, there is a don't turn back to this empty, vain life that you had before Christ. Why would you go back to that? He's saying, why? Let me begin just by reading verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So this is called, don't look back. Why would you go back to that? And Paul has kind of a reminder of all that Paul has said. He's bringing application to all these things that were true. If you've turned from Christ and you've trusted in him, or you've turned from yourself and your sin and you've turned to Christ, and have abandoned your life. And he's told us all of these new things and this reality of our life in Christ. And we're going to just, I'm going to do a really quick 
review of all of these things that Paul has said about those who have followed Christ. So about us, if you trusted in Christ, these are true about you. And then he says, don't turn back. So he reminds them that, that they have been chosen. We have been chosen before the foundations of the world by God to be holy and blameless in Christ. You remember that at the beginning? Who have been adopted by God and become sons and daughters through Jesus. Who have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who have been rescued and redeemed and forgiven in Christ. Who have been, had lavished the lavish grace of Christ poured out upon us who have obtained an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our forever inheritance, our glorious inheritance. We have great hope. We have great riches of God's glory and that glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. We have been shown immeasurable great power through Christ. We were once dead in our sins and walked in sin and decay, a life way away from God pursued after the broken desires of our sinful flesh, and we were far from God, without hope and without God, and he has made us alive, but God made us alive in Christ. He's poured out his riches of his mercy upon us, lavish love upon us, and we've been saved by grace through faith, not of our own works, not of our own efforts, not of our own doing, but by grace that he's poured out upon us, we have, where we were once strangers, remember, separated from Christ, without God, without hope in this world, but then we were brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought into this new family, this new community, this new humanity, and that we have this new relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've been united in one body, one spirit, one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who continually are being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in us more and more, whose lives are being deeply, already deeply rooted in the love of Christ, a love that is so great and so grand and so magnificent that we need His hope, His help even to comprehend that love, who have been filled with the fullness of God, who have been given the gifts of grace that we might all together grow up into one body in maturity in Christ, that we might speak the truth in love to one another, and that we might not be easily rocked and thrown by all the false teachings both outside and sometimes inside the church. So Paul says all of these things. These are all the things that he has listed and that he has told in the beginning of Ephesians. And he, he now he testifies in the Lord and the authority of the name of the Lord. He says, don't walk, don't go back that way. Why would you go back that way? Why would you walk as if you're still dead in sin, following after the desires and the demands and the whims of your old fallen life apart from Christ? Why would you do it? Why would you go to where you're without hope and without God in this world? Why would you go back to that empty, vain life before? And this word of vanity, this futility or vanity or emptiness, it's a, a word that's also used in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament for empty idols. So why would you go back to emptiness? Uh, uh, why would you go worship that which is stone or wood or plastic? I know they didn't have plastic then, but you know what I'm saying. So... Uh, 
Why would you go back to vanity and emptiness? And he's just calling them out. Why would you leave a true hope and true life and true love? A love so great, we need his help, God's help, even to understand it. And as you think of that, you might think about Ephesus, and you're like, well, probably Ephesus, probably their culture, it probably wasn't all that bad. You know, it probably wasn't a big shift for them. Because, you know, that was a long time ago, and things are just much worse now. But actually, Ephesus was, in a Greek culture, was very depraved and far from God. There wasn't any underpinnings of the truth of God's word in Ephesus. And I read one description of Ephesus during that time, and it was such a description that with younger ears in the room, I couldn't even read it to us today. And then I came across one quote from a 5th century Uh, 5th century B.C. Greek philosopher. Now, I know this would have been a good bit before the writing of of, of Ephesians, yet there's probably still the same culture there in Ephesus. And this was by the Greek philosopher um, Heraclitus. I'm sure I said that wrong, just so you know. So you don't have to tell me later. I know that was wrong. This is what he said about Ephesus. He said the darkness, he called it the darkness of vileness. The morals were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. That's a pretty strong statement for someone who, he was not a follower of Yahweh. He was one who was far from the Lord himself, and he said these things about Ephesus. So this is a depraved place, and he's saying, hey, don't go back to those things. And you think that would be obvious, but we need to be told that sometimes. And we also know from our study in Peter, that Peter, that's what he told the church as well when he wrote in 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5, he said, for the time that is past uh, is sufficient, suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanting, wanted to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So he said, remember that your time without Christ, when you live that way, it's sufficient. That was enough. Don't go back to it. If it was five years or 55 years, that was sufficient. Be reminded. Don't go back to that. It's time to live for Christ now. Our lives in Christ should look different from before we knew Christ. It should look different from the world. And it should point people to Jesus, the hope, the love, the peace that we have in him. Our life should reflect Christ, pointing people to Christ. And it's, in some ways, it's hard to imagine going back to what is empty or futile or just worthless. And yet, still, there's pulls of this world as we battle uh, the flesh and battle the world and just even Satan's attacks upon us. That There's times where, where it might seem like the easiest route just to do what the world is doing. Or it might seem like the most immediate reward is found in just pursuing things of this world. But in reality, they just lead to a grave. We've talked again and again that there's refugees, refuges in the world that we go after, that we try to find hope and peace in, but they're just refuges that end up being death and bones to us. It's like I told you a few weeks back about our little toy poodle, Jetta. Remember? She got into a pack of gum that had xylitol in it, and xylitol like is one stick of gum like kills a large dog, and she had like 20 pieces of this little dog this big. God's grace, she threw up most of it. I don't know. We took her to the vet and spent way too, you know, we used a lot of our, our fun money on our, our dog. 
Oh, gracious. But she, she, was, she was eight and she was like, man, this is so good. She didn't know it was death, putting death in my body. But that's what we do sometimes. And so Paul's reminding them, hey, man, don't go there. And then he unpacks, reminds them even, unpacking some of these things about their life before. He said, in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. There's a darkness to it apart from Christ. There's a, a moral darkness. They've lost your a moral compass. We're only thrown it off because Lord, the Lord, even by his grace has given in us just an understanding of right and wrong. And I'm thankful for that is a general grace shown to all people, but there's a throwing off a blindness of heart of rejecting, even of that general revelation of God that's in creation. Paul talks about that in Romans, the first chapter of Romans verses 18 through 20. He speaks about that. Verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And then before that, verse 19, he says that there's just been a rejection of what God has plainly shown. There's a darkening. G.K. Chesterton, in a novel that he wrote called The Oracle of the Dog. There's one of the characters that says this. He says, The first effect of not believing in God is that you lose your common sense and can't see as things are. You lose your common sense. You can't see as things really are. There's a darkening of heart when we reject what God has clearly revealed, even in creation. And then he goes on and says, They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They're alienated. They're excluded. They're apart from the life of God, apart from the creator who's created them and has a great design for them. And then continues and, and says that, that they are hardened in heart. So they're darkened. They're alienated by the ignorance that is caused by the hardness of their heart. There's a, a hardness of their heart. They've rejected, actively rejected the revelation that they've seen, and they become more and more callous, which we see in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice, practice every kind of impurity. So they become callous. They're hard. Hardness of heart that gets thicker and thicker. And they have a callousness to sensuality, promiscuity, greed, Greedy to practices of every kind of impurity. Maybe your translation says there, with a continual lust for more. A lust or a greediness for sin. And and lust is such that it just can't be fulfilled. Lust can't be satisfied. Sometimes we think it can. we like, man, just one more time. If I just do this one more time. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. That'll satisfy me, and I won't ever do it again. And then we do it again. And what's lust? Lust never is satisfied. It always craves. It's greedy, and craves for more. We need to, to be, be dead, done with it because of how it affects us. I think in passing in a sermon or two, I've mentioned, um, kind of paraphrased what, what a pastor, Kent Hughes, and there's this book called, what is it called? Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Kent Hughes and his wife, Barbara, co-wrote this book. And and this is what he said. I think I've alluded to it before, but this is the exact quote because I probably messed it up every single time before. So he says this, lay this maxim to heart. Lay this maxim to heart. When lust takes control, 
God is quite unreal to us. When we are in the grip of lust, the reality of God fades. Is God fading from view? Were you once walking close with Him, but now, because of creeping sensuality, He seems but a distant phantom? I think that is true when sin and lust of many different kinds comes in. God can just seem so far that He becomes even unreal to us. But that happens with the darkening of our heart, the hardening of our heart. And when I looked for that quote in that book by Kent Hughes, I also found uh, he had a list of some good questions to ask ourselves, and I found them helpful. And this was written down at, back in 1987, so when there wasn't sin in the world, right? <laughs> just joking. So, so we kind of sometimes we think that, and we're like, oh, this is the worst time ever. But so 1987, this is what he wrote. Some good questions. We might have to to change them just a little bit to make them apply to today, but that's okay. Are we being are we being desensitized by the present evil world? Do things that once shocked us now pass us by with little notice? Have our sexual ethics slackened? Where do your minds wander? Where does your mind wander when you have no duties to perform? What are you reading? Are there books or magazines or files in our libraries that we want no one else to see or our history browser files or whatever it might be that we don't want others to see? This is what are you renting at the local video store? I know, no video stores. Loveland had one for a good while that just closed like a couple years ago. But what, what are you streaming? Right? How many hours do you spend watching TV? He said, how many adulteries did you watch last week? How many murders, how many did we watch with our children? How many chapters of the Bible did we read last week? And he says, I've asked these hard questions because there's a cloud of sensuality that oppresses us. I think that's true today, too. You know, if it was back in 1987, it is true today. There's a cloud of sensuality that oppresses us. We need to ask good questions about our heart. We need to run, run to Jesus. He is kind and compassionate, ready to forgive when, when we find ourselves pursuing things of this world. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. We sing that sometimes and we remind ourselves. So then he continues, and he, we need to remember, remember your new life, your new identity that you have in Christ. Remember these things. So verse 20, if you're with me there, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And that's not what you learned. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. So remember, wake up. Remember what you learned about Christ. Not just learn intellectually, but what you know about your Savior. Be reminded. Don't forget. This is not what you, how you began. So think back all, to all those mind-blowing truths of new life and new identity and new community and grace and hope, and love, and strength that's found in the Holy Spirit. Remember those things. We need to be reminded. That's one thing. We need to be reminded of that. If they needed to be reminded, we need to be reminded. And also last week, remember he encouraged the church, we need to speak the truth and love to one another. We're ministers one to another. I need you and you need me. We need to speak truth to one another, encourage one another, and build up one another, and remind each other, hey, that's not how you learn of Christ. Is that the gospel? No, that is not life. 
We need to be reminded of that. We need, we need help, too. We need the help of Christ. We're not called to do this on, this, on our own. Remember Paul, even in chapter 3, he prayed that we would, all of us would be strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit. We need that so that Christ might dwell in us more and more. That's I've been, I see that prayer and I'm like, man, if you want to pray the will of God, that's, you can pray those things for yourself and for the church and for brothers and sisters all the time. And then also, just the reality that, of things that, that Paul says in Philippians. Let me read a few of them. Philippians 1, 6. This is one you're probably familiar with. Maybe you've grown up in the church. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So he's doing a work in us, and we can be reminded of that. That's not about us just mustering up enough strength, right? We turn to Christ and rest in him and abide in him. And then Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We continue to turn and rest in him and ask for him, even to, to convict our hearts and our minds that we might follow him. And then Paul continues and he says, throw off. Now, now back to that illustration of throwing off those weights or throwing off those old clothes of the old self. Throw off the old clothes of your old life without Christ. Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, throw those things off, that old way of life. Throw it off. Don't act the way you did before you knew Christ. One translation, this is um, from, I, from time to time, I like to look back to the Amplified Bible. And it doesn't mean it's a Bible that, that's just louder, but one that it'll take individual words and unpacks them because every word has some unpacking to do. So I, I love that older translation. And it says this, strip yourself of your former nature, put off and discard your old, unrenewed self. I love that phrase, old, unrenewed self. I think that's a good picture of it. It says to throw off those things, set them aside, throw them off. That old, corrupt, spoiled, rotten, perverted, deceitful, decept- with, full of deceptive lust type love. Throw those things off, those old, candy-coated poison, those old chocolate-covered death <laughs> that... that eats at us. Throw those off. Don't go to those refuges of bones anymore. Why go to that? And we, we do, we've lived, we live in a culture that our culture is American culture. It is, is thrown off in a lot of ways before it had some of that Christian ethic in Jesus. And now we're, we're just throwing off that Christian ethic in Jesus. And you would think uh, they're throwing that off, but is it leading to life? Is it leading to freedom? No. We have a culture that's more bound to anxiety and fear and the bondages of addiction. It's not causing freedom. We need to not throw off Christ. We need to throw off the old ways of our life apart from Christ. And the picture, Paul again is painting this worn, old, dirty clothes, taking them off and leaving them aside. There were several years when I was in seminary and I worked at a, a warehouse. It was this huge warehouse, but there's like four or five of us that worked there. We bought and sold um, old manufacturing equipment. And when I first started working there, all I did was manual labor. 
um, which was good, but man, it was dirty. It was old, greasy, dirty machines, and I was pulling off um, widgets and, and, and whatchamacallums off of this and that so that we could um, sell them and things. And, and I remember one day, I, I think it was apart from an old um, forklift, and I had hydraulic fluid just all over me. And my boss, he wasn't a believer, but he's like, man, I got to take a picture and you got to save that and you can show your parishioners that you worked really hard. But, <laughs> but it was during the time that I was dating Kelly and I wouldn't ever like after working be like, hey, let's go on a date. And, and I'm like, I grease and whatever dripping. I wouldn't do that. No, I, I, I would throw those things off. And oh, by the way, Kelly and I, we celebrated our 16 year anniversary this week. Yeah. I remembered... Once Kelly reminded me, I remembered it was coming. <laughs> when she said, what are we doing Friday? And I was like, yeah, I got it on the calendar. <laughs> got it. So, but she, we're, I, I love you. <laughs> All right. So, so, anyway, so throw off, throw off. So we're called, but the idea, it's active. We're actively doing these things. There's an active taking off and throwing off. It's not passive. We're doing battle with sin. We're doing battle with sinful patterns in our life that we know. And we need to throw these things off. We need to take this influence that's in our life that's pulling us away from Christ. We need to throw it out. Uh, No matter how much um, it tastes good at the moment, we need to throw it out, whatever that might be. I mean, even pray, Lord, reveal in my heart things that are pulling me away from you, that are tearing me into that that refuge of, of really bones and death. Reveal that. That's not giving me freedom. Lord, reveal those things to me that I might throw them off actively. So that might be a good place to begin, just saying, Lord, help me. And then, verse 23, we need to be renovated. We need to renovate the thoughts of our mind as we walk with Christ. We need to renovate those things. Verse 23 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So you're throwing off these patterns and then you're replacing them with right thinking. We need right thinking in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We need to, to be renovated in heart. Romans 12, 2, we've studied that before. And you probably know this verse. This is, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and prove what God's will is, is good, pleasing, acceptable, and perfect will. So it's a renewal of mind that we need. We need truth. And the question might be, are you neglecting God's word in your life? We talked about those as a conduit of God's grace. We need to put ourselves under that conduit of his, his grace upon us, the gift of his grace. It's his word. It renews our heart. We need to be renovated in heart. And it's more than just a remodel. A remodel and a renovation. They're two different things. A, a remodel, you might just make stuff look a little bit nicer. Renovation, it's a tearing out and really beginning new. And that's what we need of heart. To just kind of paste on Jesus. No, our life needs to be totally radically changed. When we turn from our sin, that's that repentance. It's a turning away from our sins and ourselves and placing our faith in Christ. And he does an amazing, he does that renovation in us, but he calls us to be a part of that, be active in it. And I've never renovated a a room, but we've done, redone our, our basement that was nothing. And we helped with family and friends and things. And some people here, we were able to, to do some work. And, and now our basement, that used to be dirty and dank and just cold. And just our, all our kids were scared of it. I was scared of it a little bit, but 
Um, but now it's like this great place to live, and Anthony lives down there. There's a total renovation that we need to happen in us. Uh, this is from um, Dane Ortland. He has a new book called, um, I think, Deeper. I haven't read the book yet, but this is a quote from it. So uh, He said this, The Bible makes sages of fools. It corrects us. But the Bible not only corrects us, it oxygenates us. Um, so we're, we're wrong in mind, but we're also empty in soul, he says. And I think that's good. We, the word of God, it, does, it renovates us, but it then oxygenates us um, through the spirit. It powers us. We have an emptiness of soul, and we need the word of God in our lives. Through reading it, through hearing it, through speaking it to one another, being around brothers and sisters in Christ. We need it. And then verse 24, put on the new clothes of your new life with Jesus. Verse 24, and put on, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're, we're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If we've trusted in him, our sins have been placed on Christ and we are forgiven. His righteousness is put on us. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. As, as Pete, our Paul has taught us that we were dead in sin and now we're made alive in Christ. There's a newness in him. No longer dead, but alive. Not slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We're new creations in Christ. We studied that a little bit ago. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And even Paul has said this reality in chapter 2. He said, we've already been raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Or Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We are the workmanship of Christ. He's created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So he has things for us to do. So we actively pursue the things of Christ. We actively pursue Jesus to walk in him. This is Romans 13, 13, 14, where Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put him on. We walk in him. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our, as we studied last year in John 15, we abide in Jesus and he abides in us. John 15, 4, abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you. As a branch, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So we need to abide. We need to rest in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, the, the main command isn't bear fruit, but abide. And that through our abiding and actively pursuing Christ and inputting him into our life through his word and through the church and through prayer, as we abide, there's fruit that comes. And we look to Jesus. We're abiding in him. We look to him. Hebrews 12, 2 let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So abide in Jesus, look to Jesus, live in a relationship with him, and rest in him. It's this picture like a prisoner. A prisoner is released from prison. He has prison clothes on. What's he going to do? He's going to change out of those prison clothes and walk in freedom. We're new in Christ, and our lives should reflect that. To put on the measures of, of God's, even God's grace, those conduits of his grace, of, of that of his word, meditation of his memory, memorizing his word, reading it, of being in prayer, being around brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping together, serving together, going and serving lions. We're going to serve them 
this can be exciting, but the Lord's going to do a work in us, too, when we go and serve in that way. And it's part of those conduits of God's grace as we learn to sacrificially love God and love others more. And we also recognize a reality as we walk with Christ that we still need Jesus. We have sin in our life. We need to always be, have lives of repentance where we're aware when we do need to change our thoughts and need more input from God's word. And he's merciful to do that. As we know from 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 9, or 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. So we're reminded of that too, that, we're those, that we still need Jesus, but he is still faithful to pour out his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness upon us. And we can be assured of our walk in him as we are throwing off and putting on. And for a while, I think I looked for my assurance of my, my walk with Christ and my salvation in Christ by looking inward, like, how am I doing? Have I marked off a bunch of things on a checklist? Oh, I'm probably pretty secure with Jesus, but... When we look in, we're only going to despair. That's not the place where, where we need to look for assurance. We look to Jesus for assurance. We look to him because he's always going to cling tighter to us than we do to him because his grace is sufficient for us. So we walk through these things. Just one quick kind of application or maybe scenario as we think about throwing off and putting on. Again, there's an act of throwing off, but then there's a replacement. Say if we're struggling with lust and pornography, we begin to, to throw off that habit. We, we cut it out and we do whatever we can to eliminate access to that, to the pornography or whatever it is that is driving us to lust. And we, we also, one of the things you do to, to do battle with it is you confess it. There's something about our sin that when we confess it to someone, it removed, there's a lot of power that's removed when we confess that. And we confess it before our Lord and before others that help bat, do battle with us. But then we, we you got to not just cut things out, but then you put things in. You have new habits that you replace with those old habits. You begin to have a book that maybe you're reading about walking with Christ or holiness. And, and when temptation comes, you pull that out. Or maybe you have some, a couple memory verses that are written down. And instead of pulling out your phone when you're tempted to lust, you pull out those those cards and you scroll through them or maybe you when temptation comes you're like okay when i feel that coming on of lust or whatever that sin might be i'm gonna pull out my phone and text um my spouse and tell her how much i appreciate her so throwing off and putting on and renewing our mind it's an active calling that we are called to do it's just like again that picture of those big um, loser contestants with all that weight put on them at the end, just to remind them, throw these things off. Why would you go back? We need to throw off sin and be always putting on Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for the kindness of, of your word that speaks to us and that reminds us. Lord, we thank you for your rescue that's happened in Christ Jesus, that if we, we have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ, that there is a newness, a new life that we have, that you've
poured out your grace. You've lavished your grace upon us that you've forgiven us and given us new life. And you've called us to holiness. Remind us, dear God, of all of these things. And we thank you for them. And Lord, help us now to be those who actively are throwing off our sin. 